Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This happened at Yosemite. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. National Park. I found myself face to face with the inexplicable. As a park ranger named John, my job often led me deep into the woods, but nothing could have prepared me for the mysteries hidden within those ancient trees. It all began when I stumbled upon an old, dilapidated cabin tucked away in a forgotten corner of the forest. The cabin was weathered by time, its wood worn and splintered, and yet there was an undeniable allure to its desolation. With a mixture of curiosity and trepidation, I pushed open the creaking door and stepped into a forgotten past. The interior was musty and filled with a sense of abandonment. Broken furniture and tattered remnants of what had once been a home littered the floor, 
but it was the discovery of a journal tucked beneath a decaying mattress that sent shivers down my spine. The pages were yellowed and brittle, and as I read the words scrawled upon them, I was drawn into a tale of horror that had unfolded decades before. The journal belonged to a former park ranger who had vanished without a trace. His entries chronicled his patrols deep within the park's woods, where he had encountered an unknown predator and entity that defied the natural order and filled him with unspeakable dread. The description he provided was hauntingly vivid, etching an image in my mind that I would never forget. The creature he had encountered had overlong arms that hung nearly to its feet, tipped with claws that stretched an astonishing eight inches from its long-haired fingers. Its entire body was covered in a glistening silver fur that seemed to catch the light in an otherworldly way. And its feet, massive and hairy like those of a giant, ended in size 35 human-like feet. The most disconcerting feature, however, was its head. Resembling that of a grizzly bear, but with a shorter, deeply scarred snout, the creature bore the marks of battles with beings even larger and more fearsome than itself. Yet, despite this fearsome exterior, its piercing blue eyes exuded a sense of ancient wisdom and experience. The journal entry recounted a terrifying battle between the former ranger and this enigmatic creature. The details of the confrontation were lost, the pages bearing the remnants of some struggle that had torn them from their binding. As I held those brittle sheets in my hands, I couldn't shake the feeling that I was entangled in a web of darkness that had been spun long before my time. As the sun dipped below the horizon and the shadows lengthened within the cabin, I couldn't help but wonder if the creature described in those pages was still out there, lurking in the depths of the forest. Did it truly kill the former ranger, or had he somehow managed to survive and escape the horrors that had pursued him? The nights that followed were restless, plagued by dreams of those piercing blue eyes and the terror that they held. I patrolled the woods with a newfound unease, my senses heightened, searching for any sign of the silver-furred creature that had haunted my thoughts. The mysteries of the abandoned cabin and the journal entries continued to unravel in unexpected ways as I delved deeper into the history of the park and the legends that had whispered through the trees for generations. With each step, I felt as though I was peeling back the layers of a reality that had remained hidden from the world, a reality that threatened to consume me whole. And so, amidst the towering trees and the haunting calls of unseen creatures, I found myself entangled in a chilling tale of the unknown, a tale that blurred the lines between legend and reality, and that left me wondering whether some nightmares are rooted in truths far more terrifying than we dare to imagine. The first encounter happened back when I was in 8th or ninth grade, can't remember exactly. I was friends with a bunch of guys and girls who were a year ahead of me, all of which I had met through my best friend Tom. Well, our little circle of friends went out for a night of bowling. The group consisted of myself, Tom, Jeremy, Beth, and Beth's friend Ashley. Beth had just broken up with her boyfriend, Corey. Corey was a real piece of work, extremely arrogant, pushy, possessive, and controlling. This was only my second time meeting Beth and Ashley, and I was unaware of the breakup, or even of Corey's existence. We had our fun bowling and wandered out to the picnic tables surrounding the bowling alley and adjacent go-kart track, by which time it's getting rather late. 
All of the sudden, Beth and Ashley start getting texts and phone calls from their friends and Beth becomes visibly shaken. The two of them promptly and with little explanation run off to another section of the property. Tom, Jeremy and I are confused as hell. We get clued in by text that Corey has gone full on, hardcore stalker mode and basically interrogated a bunch of his and Beth's mutual friends in order to figure out where she was. And he was on his way here now. No sooner than we had figured that out when we see him and his posse or entourage stroll into the picnic area. They spot the three of us chilling at our table and Corey apparently tells his guys to stay where they are before walking very pointedly towards us. Completely unannounced, he leans over onto our table, putting his face level with and uncomfortably close to ours. So where's Beth? Now I had never met the guy, but he was already giving me really bad vibes. Both Jeremy and Tom already despised him from previous encounters with the guy. As such, we had all made the unspoken agreement to cover for Beth. We don't know, Jeremy and Tom replied, just shrugging and trying to brush the question off with their best poker faces. Corey just stares us each down in turn, unblinking, clearly trying to intimidate us. We stare right back. Oh yeah, he asks. Well, I know she's here. And that's when he said the words I'll never forget, the same statement that made every stalker alert and warning bell go off in my head simultaneously. She hasn't been answering my calls. But it's okay because now I've got a new truck, so that means when she doesn't answer my calls, I can come find her. His voice was intense. He was completely, 100% serious and stared me dead in the eye as he said it. As soon as he made that little proclamation, the atmosphere at the table went from tense to about one step short of a full-scale brawl. My legs were under the table, so I slowly edged them out to the side and clenched my fists, ready to go to blows with this creeper if I had to. There was a little more small talk with threatening undertones from both sides that I don't remember much of, before Corey finally relented. He went back to regroup with his posse. He stuck around though, and it started to seem like he might be working up the courage to start something. However, we made it clear that we wouldn't be backing down and Jeremy started spreading the word, very obviously, that I was armed I wasn't based on a joking comment I'd made earlier in the night. It seemed to do the trick. Luckily, Beth emerged from hiding and finally talked Corey down. He promptly went from threatening to sort of creepy friendly, tried to show off his new truck to us and make small talk. Beth and Ashley peeled out of there pretty quick like understandably afterward. The night proceeded without incident. Fast forward about four years. Corey and Beth had more drama as time went by, with him sending threatening and harassing texts, spreading lies to damage her reputation, etc. At one point they actually got back together Tom and I made our disapproval abundantly clear to Beth. But that didn't last long before the two broke up again. One day, Tom and I are at Jeremy's house where he and his girlfriend Tara are in contact with Beth, who's working her shift at a large, local sporting goods store. Tara, after some texts and a phone call, puts her phone down and has this really concerned look. We ask her what's up, and she tells us all that Corey is at Beth's workplace. At first he just kind of wandered around the aisles, staring at her. But then he actually took one of the hunting knives on stock out of its case and began brandishing toying with it as he stared at her. 
roaming around the store as he did so. Tom heard this and immediately began to march downstairs to his truck, with me following right behind him. He was absolutely pissed. Keep in mind that Tom's a pretty big guy, very athletic with a potentially nasty temper. He had done some Emma training in the past. To top it all off, he's an active duty infantryman and army ranger. He was on leave from training when this was Cluster F was going down. Now consider the fact that he had an AR-15 with ammunition in his truck. Not a good situation for anyone involved, least of all the stalker. Of course I was really pumped up too, but at the same time I didn't want to see my friend go off half-cocked and end up in jail or worse. Jeremy and Tara talked us both down and I was about to call the police when Beth contacted us, saying she was all clear. She had talked to her manager about the situation and Corey had ended up finally leaving. While the manager walked Beth to her car in the parking lot, the stalker's truck was out there, waiting for her. I talked with Beth extensively after the incident, advising her that I had connections with the police department and all of the local judges, which is true. She already had plenty of grounds on which to file for a protective order, if not stalking harassment charges. Alas, she decided to let the matter drop and luckily the guy hasn't shown his face again. Still, I wouldn't be surprised if he tries something else in the future. The forest had always been my sanctuary, a realm of towering trees, whispering leaves, and the soft symphony of nature's orchestra. As a seasoned park ranger, I'd spent years patrolling the remote national park, ensuring the tranquility of its wilderness remained undisturbed. Little did I know, my familiar haven concealed secrets darker than the shadows that danced between the ancient trunks. It started innocently enough. Strange occurrences disrupted the usual calm of the woods, the rustling leaves transformed into ominous whispers, the singing birds into harbingers of doom. Animals, once predictable in their behavior, took on an otherworldly intelligence, their eyes reflecting a knowing gaze that sent shivers down my spine. Determined to protect the park's reputation and its visitors, I embarked on a journey to unravel the mysteries hidden within the heart of the forest. As I delved deeper into the investigation, I stumbled upon symbols etched into the bark of ancient trees, long-forgotten rituals that spoke of a dark history predating the establishment of the national park. Local legends murmured about a curse, a vengeful spirit awakened by the intrusion of modern civilization. The trees themselves seemed to groan with the weight of their ancient tales, warning of retribution for those who dared to disturb the equilibrium of the sacred grounds. The line between reality and nightmare blurred as I confronted apparitions manifesting the guilt of those who exploited the forest for profit. Shadows took on ghastly forms, morphing into grotesque figures that vanished with every blink. The air thickened with an ominous energy, pressing against me like an invisible force. With each step, I journeyed deeper into the heart of the forest, where the malevolent force awaited, hungering for retribution. The oppressive atmosphere amplified my terror, and the trees themselves seemed to close in, weaving a dense tapestry of ancient secrets that sought to ensnare me. As the climax approached, I found myself standing at the ancient ceremonial site, a place where the forest consciousness had been violated by humanity's disregard for the sacred. The vengeful spirit materialized before me, a manifestation of the collective rage of the trees, 
seeking justice for centuries of atrocities. The revelation was spine-chilling the forest's consciousness had become a sentient force, a guardian of its own sanctity. The choice loomed before me succumb to the curse and become a part of the haunting or find a way to appease the angered spirits. In that moment, the weight of humanity's sins pressed upon me, and I realized the true horror of our disregard for the natural world. The forest was not just a collection of trees. It was a living, breathing entity with memories of the past and a voice that demanded retribution. As I made my choice, the forest's energy surged around me, a blend of fury and sorrow. The warning was clear those who trespass on the sanctity of the natural world would inevitably face the unforgiving nature of ancient forces. My journey through the haunted depths of the National Park became a cautionary tale, echoing through the trees, a reminder of the consequences of humanity's greed and disrespect for the sacred. In the 80s, I was with two friends hiking in the Okefenokee Forest in Florida, basically a huge swamp with alligators, banana spiders, raccoons, and miles of black mud and creeks and trees. The biggest spider webs I've ever seen everywhere with these huge yellow spiders nearly walked into one. We were all tripping on acid when we found a long black wooden platform built in the middle of nowhere. It had weird symbols painted in white all over it. We stood on it looking around when about 50 raccoons silently walked out of the woods towards us, their little hands digging in the mud for food. They were not afraid of us, it was like that scene in Young Guns when they take mescaline and the Indians let them pass because they were in the spirit world. The raccoons surrounded up and passed by and under the platform. When they were gone, we were like, did you see that? I walked to the end of the platform and looked down. The symbols came together in perspective like an optical illusion to form the head of Baphomet. We decided to leave and go to the beach instead of waiting around to get sacrificed to the goat god. Four years ago, we bought an old house and from the get-go it freaked me out. It's a one-time owner, but over 70 years old. A little old lady ran a day care out of it until she got too old. We bought and fixed it up as our first house. One, while remodeling the radio would change station by itself. I won't have it on some rock and thought the first couple times it was my dad just changing the station. Then one day while working in the kitchen where the radio was it changed twice both from my station of rock to some straight up gangster stuff. Two. One night I was doing some work late and called my dad for a question about some electrical stuff. While my cell phone was trying to ring it turned white noise and I heard the words in an old lady's voice. Get out. I hung up and told my house off. I mean I really laid into it. Once I calmed down and realized I was alone I left. 3. Cabinets in my house will be open when I walk through to this day. 4. A series of pictures we took before the remodel had snow in only one room. Every picture in that room, not the rest of the house. 5. Woke up one night to go pee, walked out in the hall to the bathroom, and threw my hands up in the air and yelled, whoa. As a teacher, this is a natural reaction right before I bump a child in the hall at school, but there was no body in the hall. Just a shadow I saw for a second that seemed to be a young kid in the hall at my house. 6. Woke up one night with my eyes closed and had that feeling like I was being watched. I peeked and saw a little lady figure standing in the room. 
closed my eyes real quick, then found the courage to look again and saw that it had moved to my wife's side of the bed. Got up and turned the light on and it had vanished. 7. Went to the bathroom closed the door. Was doing some calculus and the door opened. I leaned to close it and it opened again. I then left it open if a ghost wants to see and smell that I will let it. 8. A light in the closet in what used to be the little old lady's room will be randomly on. 9. Just now as I was looking at another thread the baby's rocker arm moved to the floor slowly. The rocker has an arm that folds over and locks into place. The arm was at a 90 degree after we got him out of it about 4 hours ago. Now it's all the way down. Like I said I don't believe in all this stuff. It's all just weird, never threatening or mean. What do you guys think? One late night I was was all alone at the house. I was in my room on the green screen. Laptop on bed and I was in a chair where I can see the door into the hallway. All of a sudden I see a blur go by the door. I figure it was late and my eyes playing tricks on me. And then I heard what sounded like someone running down the hall, and then a door slam. Now every door in the house stays open unless you're using the restroom or sleeping. So I know all the doors are open. I grab my pistol and take a look-see in the hall. Nobody in hall and my parents' door was shut, but they were out of town. The alarm is set so I know no doors or windows were open. I call my buddy over and we clear that bedroom. Couldn't find nobody or any sign of anyone being in there. Not sure what that was, but know what I heard, and I know that the door was originally open. Back when I was a kid, my mother always spoke about her mom. Being a ranger, she would tell my mom how much she loved it. It inspired me to want to follow in her footsteps. With my grandparents dying and all, I watched my mother do her job and she loved that park with everything she had. She did it well. She claims the only downfall was all the odd stuff she had heard in the trees, and that was apparently normal. As I grew up, I took over every day that I am on the job watching. I make sure that I always have my special soda with me. It always brings me comfort knowing I have my favorite drink. My friends always told me not to apply for the job. Since so many resign and so many are told to keep quiet about things they see, my friends told me that people who get an opportunity to become a ranger, you begin to see some strange things. Back in 2019, I got a call to do the night shift for a park. My husband told me not to go. We had already made plans to go off for Christmas. I said we can't go out to eat if I'm not working to put food on the table. Besides, they need extra rangers to patrol and I need to be there to help. We can celebrate when I get back. I went out the door, heading to the park. I was thinking on the way to the job, that if I get bit by something, nobody is there to save me. At least I have my watch that the job gave me to communicate with others. The job is a blessing. Even if you were in trouble, you can always call somebody and they will help. Usually as I arrive to work, I see my best friend at work and did not know she was on the same shift. She had been doing a double. When I approached her, we spoke and she told me about the strange noises she heard right near a pond. All I wanted to do was go home and be with my husband. 
I really couldn't do anything but continue the job. She clocks back in for break, and I'm just beginning my shift. It dawned on me that I forgot where my watch was. My friend told me to stay posted, and I agreed. We walked to my vehicle to get my soda. Anyway, I look over and I can't find my drink. I kept telling her the stage gets better, and better. The event has started, and we're now patrolling the park. Making sure everything is running smoothly. She gets a call telling her she needs to split and go to the other side. Someone is requesting her. She told her boss copy that she would report back to him. Turns out the boss never told her to split. It was something interfering. I went to the other side of the park to check on her, and I watched this creature jump down from the tree onto her back, driving both of them into the pond. I ran, trying to rip her off, but this thing was so strong it was not worth it. This creature went into the water so fast I didn't see it. It was a blessing that I've managed to survive. But my friend, well, that's a different story. I immediately reached out to the dispatcher in the park. Nobody answered. I called again from the watch and got the boss. I told them I was worried and when it happened, he said they were going to send help. Right away they went in after her to try and locate her body. But there's no such luck finding anything. We had to shut down the park. We could not risk any of the public getting injured. We also informed the authorities and had them evacuate out of the park. Police said that it was something out of the ordinary that dragged her into the pond, as if that wasn't any more obvious. When we began to review the footage, we saw her, the noise that she had mentioned. My boss had simply come to the conclusion that she was going crazy, and we know she'd been going through things. But this is definitely not crazy. We had to call our family and let them know what had happened. So my job asked me called me, while we were being so close. They did not take it well. So before I went home, I stopped by and let them know what happened. They were in disbelief. They could not believe it. I went home after, and before I could share with my husband what had happened, he saw the scratches on my arm and face from that thing. I broke down and told him that she's dead and everything had to be closed down. Facing her family was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. This is the only Christmas where I've had to work, and I hate it. I hate what I had to see. I had always been fascinated by the eerie stories my Aunt Mabel would tell us about her life in the rural area of western North Carolina, near the Smoky Mountains. As a child, I would listen intently as she spun tales of strange happenings and mysterious creatures that roamed the land. However, I never thought I would experience one of these stories myself. In October of 2022, Aunt Mabel invited me to visit her and her husband, Uncle Pete, for a weekend getaway. Their home was nestled at the foot of the mountains, surrounded by dense woods that seemed to hold a thousand secrets. I was excited to experience the tranquility and beauty of nature, as well as spend some time with my favorite relatives. On the first night of my visit, Aunt Mabel cooked a delicious feast, and we spent the evening reminiscing about old times and laughing at our shared memories. As we were cleaning up after dinner, Uncle Pete mentioned that he had been hearing some strange noises at night lately. He described them as heavy footsteps on their roof, as if some large creature was stomping around up there. Uncle Pete, a practical man who was rarely frightened by anything, 
assumed it was probably just a large raccoon or some other critter that had found its way onto their roof. However, Aunt Mabel's eyes grew wide, and she shared that the local Cherokee Indians had legends about a creature called the Dogman, a terrifying beast that was known to stalk the woods around the Smoky Mountains. As the night wore on, we discussed the possibility of the Dogman being responsible for the strange noises on the roof. I was both excited and apprehensive about the idea, as I had always been intrigued by cryptids and supernatural phenomena, but I wasn't sure how I would react if I actually encountered one. That night, as I lay in bed, I strained to listen for any strange sounds coming from the roof. At first, there was nothing but the gentle rustling of leaves outside my window. But just as I was about to drift off to sleep, I heard it a heavy thud, followed by the unmistakable sound of large footsteps. I sat up in bed, my heart pounding in my chest as I strained to hear more. For several minutes, the footsteps continued, moving from one end of the roof to the other. Then, just as suddenly as they had begun, they stopped. I didn't sleep a wink for the rest of the night, my mind racing with thoughts of the dogman and what it might be doing on my aunt and uncle's roof. The next morning, I told Aunt Mabel and Uncle Pete about the noises I had heard. They exchanged worried glances and Aunt Mabel decided that it was time to consult with a local Cherokee elder who was well-versed in the legends and lore of the dogmen. We spent the day with the elder, learning more about the mysterious creature and its connection to the land. He explained that the dogman was an ancient spirit that guarded the forests, and that it was likely attracted to my aunt and uncle's home because of its remote location. I didn't believe it, but my aunt was into the whole story. That night, I was outside, trying to see what's on roof. I spent whole night, but I never heard or seen anything. Unfortunately, I had to leave next day. I asked my aunt and uncle to call me if they notice a sound on the roof again. Interestingly enough, we never spoke of it again. At 54 years old, I am a husband, father, and grandfather with a few years of Navy experience under my belt. My story takes place in central Pennsylvania, home to the Bald Eagle Ridge, a 60-mile-long mountain ridge that marks the boundary of the Appalachian Plateau to the west. This region of Pennsylvania is stunning, with the majority of the state's population residing in the valleys rather than the secluded mountaintops. About a decade ago, my wife, 25-year-old son, two grandchildren, and one of their friends joined me for a walk at the reservoir that supplies drinking water to our area in central Pennsylvania. The reservoir, created by damming a creek that runs through the valley, is a picturesque spot teeming with fish and surrounded by wildlife. Before suffering two strokes in recent years, I was an avid hunter and fisherman who taught my family to appreciate nature. Naturally, my son and I were armed during our walk to protect ourselves from any potentially dangerous animals. Despite starting our walk later than planned, we enjoyed our journey up the mountain. As night fell, we each carried a flashlight and proceeded without concern. While walking, I suddenly felt uneasy for no apparent reason. I then heard what sounded like heavy footsteps above us on the steep hillside to our left. As my son led our group, we all stopped to listen. I couldn't help but feel startled, though I initially dismissed the sound as a deer or another animal. However, the entire group remained alert as we continued walking. 
Soon, we heard the sound of a large branch snapping, followed by what seemed like a tree or boulder being thrown. It was a loud noise, different from the sound of a tree falling due to wind. We then heard what sounded like a heavy person running. At this point, we picked up our pace, trying to reach our truck quickly. Although our flashlights illuminated the hillside, we saw nothing but trees. The remainder of the walk back to the truck was uneventful, but we remained on high alert, unsure of what had made the noise. Based on my experience, I believe it sounded like something had ripped a tree from the ground and thrown it. Could it have been a Bigfoot shadowing us? It's a possibility I cannot dismiss. I had always been intrigued by the unknown, especially when it came to sightings of unidentified flying objects. So when I moved to Chicago in May 2019 to begin my new job as a park ranger, I never expected that I would have my own encounter with the unexplained. On a warm spring afternoon, I was sitting on the front porch of my new home, enjoying the sunshine and sipping on a cold glass of lemonade. My neighbor, Ken Ross, a friendly middle-aged man with a penchant for stargazing, was relaxing on his porch as well. We exchanged pleasantries, discussing the weather and our plans for the weekend. Suddenly, Ken's gaze drifted upward his eyes widening in shock. He nudged me, pointing to the sky. Look at that, he exclaimed. Following his gaze, I saw a strange, black amorphous object hovering in the sky. It was unlike anything I had ever seen before, and it seemed to defy all logic. We watched the object in awe as it moved gracefully across the sky. It was difficult to gauge its size and distance, but it was clear that this was no ordinary aircraft or weather balloon. Ken, being an avid UFO enthusiast, quickly pulled out his cell phone and began recording the enigmatic object. What do you think it is? I asked, my voice barely above a whisper. I have no idea, Ken replied, his eyes never leaving the screen of his phone. But it's definitely not something I've ever seen before. As we continued to watch the UFO, a sudden gust of wind caused it to wobble momentarily revealing a metallic glint beneath its black exterior. It then continued on its path, eventually disappearing behind a cluster of trees. Ken and I exchanged bewildered glances, unsure of what we had just witnessed. We spent the next few hours reviewing the footage, analyzing the object's shape, movement, and size. Despite our best efforts, we were unable to come up with a plausible explanation for the bizarre sighting. In the days that followed, Ken uploaded the video to various UFO forums, hoping that someone might be able to shed some light on the mysterious object. The response was overwhelming, with many viewers expressing their own theories and experiences with similar sightings. As a park ranger, my job often put me in close contact with nature, and I couldn't help but wonder if there were other unknown phenomena lurking in the skies above. My encounter with the black amorphous UFO had sparked a newfound fascination with the unexplained, and I found myself spending more time with Ken, discussing our shared interests and embarking on nightly sky watches. The sighting had left an indelible mark on both of our lives, serving as a constant reminder that there are still mysteries in this world waiting to be discovered. And as I continued my work as a park ranger, I couldn't help but look up at the sky and wonder what other secrets lay hidden among the stars.
As soon as I turned 18, my parents demanded that I got a job. When three months passed, I was still unemployed. They went out and did it for me. I got hired at my family's ranger business, supplied places with rangers, and we'd go out and protect the park for however long the ranger's owners could pay. I started in early winter, I was cold all the time. The job I was working at did not start until about 9 at night, or at least my shift didn't. I had to work until 9 in the morning, 12 hours, 5 days a week. The pay was alright. It was my first day at a new park. It was a ski resort, and they had hired rangers to act as security. We weren't really as qualified, but my family didn't have the greatest moral compass, so to speak. I started my shift, I talked with a little guy at the front. He said it was slow, not much happening. I was glad to hear this, sitting inside and doing nothing for 12 hours, that's what I'd normally be doing anyway. I went inside and met the guy I'd be working with, we'll call him Freddy. He was reading the paper and drinking coffee. First day, he had asked. Well, I never worked at this place before, but I've been working with Tony for quite a while. It's a good business, I trust him. He responded with a little chuckle and went back to sipping his coffee. Nothing happened for a couple of hours. We sat back and relaxed, it talked about our lives and even got into a funny conversation about my uncle. About three hours in, we heard a loud banging at the door. Freddy got up to open it. There was nothing there, aside from a trail in the snow leading to the door. There wasn't much we could think about it, maybe a bird or an animal, I don't know, Freddy said, getting back to his seat. I thought it was a bit weird for a bird to slam into the door fast enough to make a bang that loud and still somehow get back up and walk out of sight. I didn't say anything, I just shrugged, whatever. After even more sitting and talking, Freddy got up and said that he was going to use the bathroom. He jokingly asked if I could hold on the fort, then went outside to use the restroom. I leaned back in my chair, quietly singing a Billy Joel song that had been stuck in my head, when Freddy basically kicked the door in, holding his hand. It was cut up and bleeding badly. I did not think to ask questions, so I shot up, ran to the first aid cabinet, grabbing the wrap, and put it around his arm. What happened out there? I'd asked him. He looked at my eyes and opened his mouth. There was another super loud bang on the door. I rushed to the door and locked it. I didn't know what was out there, but I did not feel like waiting for it to realize the door was open. Freddy was screaming in pain. I wrapped his wounds, but it wouldn't keep up forever. I went over to the phone, I picked it up, it called an ambulance. I explained that something attacked my co-worker. They asked what, I told them I don't know, and they gave me a half-assed, we'll send somebody, and I hung up. They asked to stand in line with them, but I didn't see how that would stop Freddy from bleeding out. Freddy slumped down, leaning against the table in the room. I slapped his face slightly to keep him awake. Freddy, who did this? He cleaned his eyes and couldn't be bothered to keep his head anymore. He was out. His cut was worse than I thought, and the ambulance needed to come very quickly. As I put a blanket on him, another loud bang at the window made me jump. I looked back, and there was a bloody hand on the window. It was a man, and he was begging to be let in. I ran over to the door and unlocked it. I went to the side where he was at, and I didn't see him. Did he run around? I looked down and my jaw dropped. 
Right where he was standing was a trail of blood in the stand going around the wall. I broke out of my shock, turning the corner, and there were the culprits and just one wolf. But I know he wasn't the only one there. We both stood there, looking at each other. He snarled, and I gulped. I knew the time it took me to get the door was a lot less than it took him to get to me. I didn't want to risk it, just in case. I kept standing there. He took a step back. Maybe he's leaving, I thought to calm myself down. But he did not leave. He took a step back and, knowing what was coming, I ran to the door. He stopped. He lunged, biting into the flesh of my leg. I screamed out in pain, but at least he wasn't calling his pack or so I thought. He started to tear flesh, and I foolishly attempted to shake him off. He was on there tight, ripping. I tried to push him off, but his teeth only sunk in deeper. Now I'd put my right hand between my leg and the roof of his mouth, prying his teeth. I limped inside, slammed the door shut. I could see him, these loud bone noises popping and seeing him now stand up on two legs, looking at me through the door. How I was lucky I had survived, I wasn't sure what to do. I was bleeding out pretty bad, and the only gun I had was in my jeep that was left outside. That's when I saw more of these things. They were upright walking wolves, and they were pacing around this place, moving back and forth, looking in the windows, waiting for one of us to come out. I sat there next to Freddy, holding him, holding myself, trying to keep myself conscious. I was bleeding pretty bad, and these things were out there. I counted at least three of them, three of the largest wolves I'd ever seen in my life. What was going on? As I remember things starting to fade, I couldn't tell you what happened next. But the door burst open, and several EMTs rushed in, attending myself and Freddy. They loaded me up on a stretcher, threw me in the ambulance, and the next thing I know, I'm being patched up. After this, I never heard from Freddy again, and I was quickly removed from that location and reassigned to a different one altogether. I was told nothing. I was not allowed to ask questions, and even now, I live with the nightmare. A nightmare of strange wolves, very violent, and had I not made it back inside, I would have been torn to pieces. The sun was just beginning to set as I arrived at the ridge overlooking the lower Molilla River. I was a cryptid investigator, and I had spent countless weekends exploring the wilderness, searching for evidence of unknown creatures. This particular weekend, I was intrigued by the recent reports of strange rapping noises coming from this area. As I set up my camp, I noticed an unsettling lack of game, especially considering it was hunting season. With my gear ready and a sense of anticipation building, I settled in for the night, listening carefully for any unusual sounds. As darkness enveloped the landscape, I suddenly heard it a distinct rapping on a tree not too far from my campsite. Excited, I grabbed a branch and began to wrap out my own patterns in response. Over the course of 15 minutes, I heard raps coming from three other locations, each with their unique patterns a series of two raps followed by a pause, and then three raps transitioning from a slow to a fast beat. One of the sounds was oddly dull, as if it were made by pounding on a rotten log. Then, just as suddenly as they began, the rapping sound ceased. I continued to wrap out my own patterns throughout the rest of the weekend and into Monday, but there was no further response. On my last day in the area, 
I decided to explore the surrounding woods and came across a park ranger named Lori. I told her about my experience with the rapping sounds and asked if she had any insights or theories. Well, Lori began, I've heard those rapping noises too, and I've always wondered if it might be another hunter or a child playing around. But I've also considered the possibility that we might be communicating with an unknown species. It sounds like something straight out of Star Trek, doesn't it? We both laughed at the comparison, but the idea of communicating with a mysterious creature was both thrilling and unnerving. As I packed up my gear and prepared to leave the ridge, I couldn't help but feel a sense of wonder and curiosity. The rapping sounds remained unexplained, and the thought of an unknown predator lurking in the woods continued to haunt my imagination. As I drove away from the lower Molala River, I promised myself that I would return someday hoping to unravel the mystery behind the rapping sounds and uncover the truth about the enigmatic creatures that may dwell within the depths of the forest. My grandfather told me the story about the eerie incident that made him quit being a ranger. My grandfather used to work to be a park ranger in Uganda and had many stories to tell us about misbehaving teenagers who thought it was funny to stay illegally in the park overnight, white supremacist tourists who think they could hunt any time, and even indigenous people who believed the land belonged to them. But this time, he told me the story why he resigned from being a ranger, as he thought it was old enough to hear this creepy story. And after hearing it, I'm thankful for him quitting or else I probably wouldn't be here today. One day, he and his co-worker, we'll call him Sam, went out to patrol at night. As they were walking, they saw a very high, unusual amount of snake activity everywhere. Ignoring it, they continued on their job, and they had heard multiple trumpets of elephants and saw many zebras running in no particular direction, just away from the place that he and his co-worker were going deeper into the depths of the forest. They assumed that it was somebody, possibly teenagers, causing trouble. This made them cautious and alert for danger. They continued going deeper in with their rifles loaded and lamps in front of them. Then they saw a blue shimmery light glowing in the shape of a circle in the forest. It looked to be like a portal. My grandfather had advised his co-worker to examine it. As Sam leaned in to touch it, he was immediately sucked in like a vacuum. Now I'm not relating Derek to trash, but who touches a portal? After waiting a few moments for Derek to come out, but as expected, he didn't. My grandfather ran away from the portal and towards the cabin of rangers. There, he shared this unnatural incident with the rest of the rangers who slept there. They collectively decided to go check it out the next morning. The next morning, they went to the same place when my grandfather saw the portal. There was no portal and no sign of Derek either. His co-workers then did not believe him and said that Derek must have slipped drugs and hallucinated the whole thing. My grandfather resigned after that. He did not want to see more supernatural incidents happening and also did not want to die. And there was a huge cover-up that happened with Derek and him disappearing. Is he still alive in some alternate universe? Did he turn into something like a ghost? Is he dead? Nobody knows. It's 1982 and I just ended my time in the army. After getting home, I found nothing had changed. 
That and my experiences in the service left me in a poor mental state. I loved the outdoors of camping from an early age, so I foolishly decided that camping in the Florida Everglades would give me the peace of mind I desperately needed. After three days, I had enough. I packed up my gear and headed out only to realize that I had somehow gotten myself lost. There were about seven hours of daylight left, so I climbed the tallest tree I saw to get my bearings. The tree was pretty thin, and just as I saw the way I needed to go, I slipped down and fell above 16 feet. My knee and ankle were sprained very badly and the pain was nearly unbearable. I limped as far as possible in the direction I needed to go, but soon I couldn't stand the pain anymore. Finding the path leading out, I sat and started scooting backward as best I could. It was hard going as the path was made of crushed shells and gravel. An hour later and I saw a large cat come out of the bush. It slowly started towards me much like a house cat does when he sees a bird. Feeling very vulnerable and unarmed, I knew I was in deep SHT. Each time I scooted backward, it would lunge and sort of flop its front paws. Craziest thing I ever saw. It was about 10 yards from me when from my right came a rock about the size of a softball, flying horizontally like a missile. It struck the side of the cat's head so hard that aside from literally exploding, it folded around backward and slapped its body. I heard the crunch and saw the blood mist on impact. I swear every single word is absolute truth. I looked to the right and saw him standing there just inside the tree line. Massive dark hair covered except his face. It was dark but easily human like we made eye contact and I felt very calm. To this day I can't be sure if I heard or just felt safe, but I heard that word inside my head. I looked back at the cat. I thought it made a gurgling sound. I still don't know, but when I turned my back, my savior was gone. I was replaying everything in my mind when I heard a crack at five o'clock. As I turned toward the sound, a long, thin stick came flying out of the trees, landing a few feet behind me. I never saw or heard him after the first moment, but I was positive he threw me a crutch to help me get on my feet and make it out. Over the years, I held the experience to myself alone, knowing I'd be locked up if I told anyone. There are bad apples in every species, but people need to understand they have compassion for us unless attacked. Back in high school, my friend's family had a break-in. This family lived in a rural area, and their land was a little tough to find. Most people got lost trying to find it the first time, and usually they'd need to send someone to the road to flag down anyone that might be looking for them. Law enforcement, pizza guy, guests, etc. Some guy had broken into one of the sheds and had possibly stolen something, so they had called the police in the middle of the night. This particular night, they didn't want to send anyone to the road because they thought the burglar was armed and possibly still in the area. The police seemed to have found their land easily and went about their business for the night, investigating the shed and sweeping the property. They found the guy hiding in the barn and arrested him, open and shut case. Homeless transient that nabbed some tools from the shed. Once they were wrapping up, one of them said it was okay to call the lady that flagged them down at the entrance to their land back to the house. The family hadn't sent anyone to the road. I have always been an avid hunter, 
spending most of my free time out in the woods. I have hunted everything from deer to turkeys and even tried my luck at trapping. However, nothing could have prepared me for what I experienced one spring morning 15 years ago. I was turkey hunting on my family's property along the Grand River in Ionia County, Michigan. The birds had flown down from the roost and gone in the opposite direction of where they usually went, making it challenging to track them down. Despite my efforts, I couldn't get them to come to any calls. Frustrated, I decided to take a quick nap and leaned against a big oak tree. It was a beautiful day, and the warmth of the sun felt good on my skin. I must have drifted off because I woke up to the sound of the strangest roaring sound I have ever heard. It was like nothing I had ever experienced before, and it sounded like it was right on top of me. I was instantly filled with fear, thinking that some creature was going to tear me to pieces. I held my 12-gauge tightly, ready to defend myself. The sound came again, and this time it was directly overhead. I looked up to see a hot air balloon above the treetops with a blonde woman firing the burner, and an elderly couple looking like they were having the time of their lives. Feeling relieved, I let out a deep breath and chuckled at my reaction. It was then that I heard something else, something in the distance, and it didn't sound like any animal I knew. I froze, unsure of what to do. I listened carefully, and the sound became louder and more distinct. It was then that I saw it, a Sasquatch. At first, I couldn't believe my eyes, thinking it was a bear, but as it came closer, I could see it was something else. It stood over eight feet tall and was covered in dark hair. Its eyes met mine, and for a moment, we just stared at each other. Then it turned and walked away, disappearing into the woods. I sat there in shock, trying to make sense of what had just happened. For years, I had heard stories about Sasquatches, but I had never believed them until that moment. It was a surreal experience that left me questioning what else was out there that we didn't know about. From that day on, I always made sure to keep my eyes and ears open, knowing that anything was possible when it came to the mysteries of the forest. I first met my wife some 22 years ago. Shortly thereafter, I was warmly welcomed into the annual family deer camp. They must have seen the hook in my mouth that escaped me at the time because they were very guarded about access to the property and no one outside of the family hunted it with rare exception. One of the first things her uncle proudly showed me was the family collection of stone points. I recall counting at least 75 distinct pieces, if not more. I am by no means an expert on the subject, but from the limited research I've done the collection represented a broad range of time from the Neolithic to the Woodland Indian period. I was of course curious why he would show me these points prior to my first opening day of deer season with my soon-to-be-in-laws. The question was answered when he told me, I'm showing you this so you understand there are things you won't understand at times when you're out there. I had no idea what this meant until one turkey season some four or five years later. Mind you, I had archery and gun hunted the property many times in those first few years with good success. I had never been truly scared when on stand before daylight or waiting for dark to climb down so I wouldn't scare the deer lingering in the fields. Sure, I was creeped out a few times due to my own imagination, but nothing like what I experienced that April dusk. I had been out for a couple hours before dark, trying to pattern the birds and see where they were roosting. 
My plan was to find that out and come out the next morning ready to bust a nice gobbler right after fly down. Of course the birds ended up roosting on the far southwest corner of the property, about as far you could get from where my truck was parked on the north end, near the old stagecoach Ford area, just south of the house. The sun had just set as I neared the Ford area. I was maybe 200 yards from the Ford when I saw what I thought was a light on a boat close to the opposite riverbank. As I got closer, I heard splashing and saw the light bob back and forth. No big deal until I heard the distinct sound of horse leather and metal bits and pieces clinking and squeaking, along with a low voice alternately calling what sounded like G and haw. Before you ask how do I know that what that means and sounds like, I grew up on a farm and my father had a team of ponies that he used in pull-in competitions. I also had two uncles that had Belgian draft horses they showed at county fairs and pulled wagons in what seemed like every small town's festival parade for 40 miles around. I can't tell you how many times growing up I saw pony pulling competitions or tossed candy out of a wagon in a parade. Back to the lights and sounds I didn't really process it at first. I kept thinking those are weird sounds to be coming from someone night fishing. My truck was parked about 125 yards more or less due west from the ford on the two-track that led up the hill and out to the road. As I got closer the light and sound seemed as if they were crossing the river, heading toward the back area of the house, old stagecoach stop. The closer I got, the dimmer the light got and the quieter the splashing, voices and creaking and clinking became. I don't know when the light went out or the sounds died away, because at this point I had stopped walking and was running at a pace that would shame Forrest Gump. I made it to my truck in record time, started it up, and flew up the two-track and out to the road, quivering like a scared child. 